We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Little Miss Marker on March 21st, 1980. It was written and directed by Walter Bernstein, based on a 1932 story in Collier's by Damon Runyon, and released by Universal Pictures. I believe this is our first full-blown remake. I don't think we've covered... A remake previously the fog had a remake yeah but it was the original we were covering but i think um this is the first one that existed in a movie form uh, prior to this film this was adapted from a 1934 film of the same title which starred shirley temple in the titular role technically though this is actually the third remake after sorrowful jones with bob hope and lucille ball in 1949 and then after that 1962's 40 pounds of trouble coincidentally starring tony curtis as the sorrowful jones character was he called sorrowful jones in that he was not uh there's a few changes to that uh version of the story but the character's name is steve mccluskey in that version and the story takes place mostly at disneyland he runs like a casino in vegas and takes the kid to disneyland for Mm. most of the day but uh, it's the title, 40 Pounds of Trouble, is a reference to the original Little Miss Marker film, a scene that didn't make it into the remake. But other than that, it's the same story, and it was credited, the story credit still went to uh, Damon Runyon, who wrote the article for Collier's. The poster and many elements of the film are reminiscent of The Sting, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a coincidence because uh, Richard Amsel illustrated the one sheet for both films. But also very, like, Norman Rockwell. Right. Saturday Evening Post kind of thing. I was reading about Amsel today, and he's really a a fascinating character um, in, like, American cinema because Mm -hmm. he was very prolific and had an impact on a lot of, like, huge pop culture things that everyone remembers, but he wasn't actually working for that long. He was 22 when he graduated from the Philadelphia College of Art and pitched a poster that was selected by 20th Century Fox to be the official poster for Barbara Streisand's Hello, Dolly!, the uh the hello dolly one that's the iconic one that's just like her face i think so yeah he was sought after for album art in the music world and in the 70s contributed to a string of celebrated films uh including the champ chinatown julia the last picture show the last tycoon the life and times of judge roy bean mccabe and mrs miller the muppet movie poster was him yeah that's a good one um murder on the orient express nashville papillon the shootist and the sting over 13 years, he produced the cover art for 40 issues of TV Guide. And then um, I'm reading from Wikipedia here that as film studios changed their marketing style in the 1980s, employing photographs in favor of illustrations, which is really a shame. Yeah. Um, Amsel and other artists were frequently limited to creating works for science fiction, fantasy, and adventure films. In response, Amsel created the posters for Flash Gordon later this year, uh, The Dark Crystal, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which ultimately became his most famous work. Uh, Amsel completed two posters, one for Raiders 1981 release and another a year later for its re-release. It's been reported that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg own the original copies of those illustrations. 
Uh, his last film poster was for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And shortly after that, he passed away succumbing to complications from AIDS. He was 37 years old. Wow. So all of that happened in 15 years. That's amazing. It's pretty incredible. But so we start this film uh, with Blackie and Herbie are entering uh, Sorrowful's betting office, where a man is pleading with Jones, Sorrowful Jones, to place a bet. But he doesn't have any money to place the bet with. Right. So he's asking for a loan, essentially. Newhart, Bob Newhart, in this uh, film, his, his character, the character's name is Regret. Yeah, I don't think I don't even know if it's ever said. Yeah, uh, he just kind of like gestures to him or barks orders at him. I don't, I can't remember him. He does say Regret a couple okay. times. Okay, so okay, so our main character's name is Sorrowful, and this character's name is Regret. Yeah, yeah. And are these like supposed to be real names or are these like nicknames i I, I think almost everybody is going by other than amanda worthington i think everyone's going by some kind of street name yeah okay blackie herbie and regret yeah and blackie is not the name from the original film but sorrowful and regret are characters in the original film uh we should also mention that the, the original came out in 1934 this one takes place in 1934 but obviously came out in 1980 so this one is a period film okay um, but I think the two films on the way to this were not period films. They were just modern updates for the time. But this is the first one that went back to the 30s. An old woman leaves Sorrowful Jones' office crying because she's unable to pay a debt she owes. And Blackie takes pity on her and gives her some money, which mm. she immediately places on a horse at a yeah. race. <laughs> like, she reminded me of, like, uh, it's not the same actress, but she reminded me of the woman that plays Johnny Dangerously's mother. Mm. where she can just like turn on a dime and yeah i mean it, i like that moment because i think it sets up sorrowful really well because like you think he's being this cold-hearted man as this little old lady walks out you know all upset about it but yeah you know really he just knows these people and he knows that she's putting him on and that everyone can't be trusted here. yeah it, it actually reminds me of um also the the old woman uh in mr incredible's office at the beginning yeah, yeah. of the film because uh i'm on a fixed income yeah she's like very upset but she also picks up way too quickly for my taste on mm-hmm. what he's trying to do and he's like i would not recommend that you go to-. and she's like oh, oh oh i got it i'm gonna write this down it's like okay so you were probably adding to your sob story a little bit because you were very quick on the take mm-hmm. <laughs> to figure out that he's he's helping you out but um basically blackie walks into the office Regret tries to keep him out, but um, Blackie comes in and says yeah. he wants $50,000 to open a gambling joint. And Jones says, no, I'm not going to give you any money. Because the two of them have known each other since childhood. And uh, the last time they, they fought about something, Sorrowful Jones threw him in the river. But they're not children anymore. And in the meantime, Blackie has become like the head of a mafia gang, right. basically. So he's asking for 50000 Right. Which... Did you do the math? I just did the math on what that would be equivalent. No. Close to a million dollars. Oh, wow. Really? That's crazy. So he's coming in asking, essentially asking Sorrowful for a million dollars. Yeah. And obviously he doesn't want to contribute that money and he doesn't feel threatened by Blackie. So Mm -hmm. he says no. The desperate man who is asking for for a loan to place a bet decides that he's going to leave his daughter as a mark. Mm -hmm. And, uh jones obviously is not interested in this and says no i don't know what you're talking about but they kind of get distracted by a gunshot as blackie's leaving and it turns out that blackie shot the dog um in like the the office that is a front for this the booking office 
And I, I think this is supposed to be the, like, warning dog. This is supposed to be the dog that, like, barks if, if the cops show up. Right. To, like, warn everybody in the back. Yeah. And this whole area in the front is supposed to be like, a, this is a legitimate business. Don't go in the back room. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even though the police obviously already know. Right. At least one police detective knows. Yeah. It's mostly to keep, like, the public off of the scent of what's going on here. Unless they're paying public. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Sorrowful Jones rushes to the front room and sees what happened. And he tells the, the guy that mans the front, like, Call a few places, see what you can get for the fire. Tell him it's a wolf. <laughs> because it's like, not only is he, does he not care about this dog at all, but he, he wants, wants to, to see... like upsell it as much as possible yeah. by calling multiple places for price checks and then <laughs> lie to them about what it is so that he can get as much money as possible. And the guy basically succeeds in leaving his kid behind as uh, as collateral for a ten dollar bet. Yeah. In in the original, it was a twenty dollar. Here, it's a ten dollar bet. Um, but uh, the guy doesn't come back for the kid for the rest of the day. Um, Jones tells Regret, the Bob Newhart character, to just watch her, and he doesn't want to. Basically. Yeah. So he sneaks up to Sorrowful Jones's place and knocks on the door and just leaves her outside of his apartment. So Sorrowful Jones opens the door and he's like get lost and then he goes back inside and waits for a second and kind of realizes like i don't know if he's deciding that that's a crappy thing to do or if he's going like oh wait i just left ten dollars in the hallway yeah (laughs) um so he comes back and opens it up and and she walks inside she hasn't eaten all day he pours her a bowl of cereal but there's a there's a depression on so right you know that's normal exactly but he he decides that because he's a cheapskate, he's not going to put any milk in this cereal. She's going to eat it dry at the table. But after mere seconds of listening to her eat this dry cereal, it is pissing him off enough yeah. that he's like, okay, fine, we'll put some milk in it. I can't stand this sound anymore. But you noticed, I didn't see this, but when he was went to pour her the milk, he like takes all the cream off of the top of it first. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, at first I thought the joke was that he had poured it into a milk serving and then poured it, and then poured it back into the milk jug, like yeah, like like he was trying he's to be portioning and portioning it out, yeah. Or something. But then I realized, oh no, because he looks at it up in the light. Yeah, right. he's and checking like, to see how right. thick the cream is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, so he adds milk to her cereal, and she finishes eating, and then climbs into his Murphy bed mm-hmm. um, while he's like getting ready for bed, and he's pushing chairs together to make a small bed for her in the corner of the room. Well, he at first he's concerned that this is a scam, like. Not in, yeah, not until she she says like, oh no, this this bed's big enough. And he's like, oh, I see what this is. He, yeah, he's like, he's worried that he's gonna be like Chris Hansen. Yeah, like he's gonna be accused of <laughs> yeah. being a pedophile, uh, which is like a running gag for a while throughout the movie yeah. show. Uh, I, th- I thought it was weirder the second time when Dennehy's at the door. Yeah, but but here she's like, no, 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 the the bed's big enough. We can we can both share this bed, and she's like stroking the pillow next to him like that, that's the weirdest part of this moment and then uh he he's like sure honey move over i'll be right there and then he opens the door like he's gonna catch somebody listening or about to bust in and there's nobody there and then he closes the door but then immediately there is someone there mm-hmm. and it's the people who he probably expected to be on the other side of the door um but it's brian Den. he uh well i, I want to discuss this scene a little bit more sure sorry i i because I feel like this entire most of the scene was either improvised or they just were rolling film. How long do you think that this scene is? From um, from when they enter 
together. Ten, like 10 minutes, probably. Yeah, it's yeah. 10 minutes of almost complete silence. Yeah. Of her serving the milk. He, he makes the bed. He undresses, walking back and forth and back and forth. And I was just like, this scene is way, way too long. Yeah. It was driving me nuts. I also think, that, I guess they went, they auditioned like 90 different girls or 90, more than 90 girls to play this part. And this is the girl that they settled on. And she does have like a cute moment in this scene. But for the most part, she's silent. Mm-hmm. And she is very passive to what's going on in the story. Like obviously, uh, when you cast Shirley Temple in this role, you're getting a girl who's talking through every scene and mm-hmm. is able to like keep up with everybody verbally. But this girl's barely saying anything. So it's two very different ways to play the character. But she's like, Shirley Temple's like singing songs and joking around and making fun of people the whole time. And she takes a much more active role in having been left behind as the mark. Because I feel like this movie doesn't do a really good job of explaining why he ever took her yeah. as collateral. Well, I th- I feel like this girl actually did a good job, though, of portraying a girl who's had you know an absentee or abusive father who clearly has some sort of gambling problems Mm -hmm. you know like not not to say that it he had any outward signs of aggression towards her sure but she's she's definitely very like subservient like i'm just going to do whatever any adult tells me to do and i'm just going to go along with it and i'm just going to sit here and be quiet and obedient and 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 not get in any trouble yeah I, i think it's a it's a much subtler performance and it's and i think it's a more realistic one but that was the biggest difference that I noticed between the two films is that uh, Shirley Temple, like, she's the reason that he accepted her as money in the first movie because she's like... Look, Daddy, he's running away. Is he afraid? Take her down off of there. Now listen, Mr. Jones, if you look... You get down off of there. You're afraid of my daddy. <laughs> or you're afraid of me. And then later on he's like, well, the, the, she bluffed me into it. Like, yeah. she's outsmarting him. And, and they're like... Well, that seems more like a con, you know? Right, exactly. You know, like, she's in on it. Right, but she isn't in that movie. But they make it seem more like that. Like, she's able to keep up with him, not that she's just doing what he says all the time, which is what it feels like with this girl. Yeah. But this seems like a more realistic relationship with a a child. But, uh, yeah, then then he is at the door, Mm -hmm. and he says, hey, you're going to meet with Blackie tomorrow about that money. And he's like, no, that's not going to happen. And he says, okay, well, we'll we'll see what happens, but I'm pretty sure you're going to meet with him tomorrow. And he closes the door, and he kicks the bed out of frustration and immediately folds back up into the wall. <laughs> well, and, and Brian Dennehy also kind of looks in and sees a little girl oh, right, like, yeah. asleep in the bed and kind of gives him a look, look of disgust. <laughs> yeah, and even when that happened in the movie, I was like, is that really what your first thought would be? Like, oh, he's in bed with a, what is she, six years old mm-hmm. or something? Six or eight? It's just like, hmm. I don't think that would even be his first suspicion. He would just be like, what is this, your niece or something? Like, Or you're taking care of somebody's kid. Like, There's no way that his first thought would be like, oh, you're in bed with a child. But but I think everyone knows Sorrowful Jones. Because like, that's like a running gag is that everyone... Uh, not a running gag, but things will happen later on where everyone is like questioning things that he's doing because they know him so well. Yeah. And so I would imagine like... Herbie knows him pretty well as well. Yeah. And is probably wondering what the hell this is about. Right. Uh, but again, just kind of gives him like a look like, I don't know what, you, what you're what you doing, what this is. Yeah. Like, how is this related to your business? And maybe I should just not know about it. Yeah. He also seems like, obviously, we've from what we've covered, he is pretty much a cheapskate who spends zero money. Mm-hmm. Like he's living in this like kind of crappy apartment with a Murphy bed and 
he's like keeping track of how much of his milk he's using for people's cereal like he's obviously trying to be a thrift spend he's not He's he's keeping all of his money socked away because he doesn't want to spend it on anything. He doesn't have a phone, which was Brian Denny's complaint, like about trying to get a hold of him. Right. Yeah. He's like the the Loretta Lynn house. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like no. He's like, why don't you have a phone? He's like, well, because then people would call me. It's like the exact <laughs> same complaint that Doolittle makes. But uh, but yeah. So the bed starts to fold back up into the wall with the little girl sleeping in it, <laughs> and he catches it right before it completely closes. But her head pops up over the top, and she's like, oh, that was fun. Let's do it again. I mean, it looks like they legitimately just did that with the kid Yeah, in the bed. I think so. So. And, and it's funny, because she's at the very top of the bed with her head against the wall. So she had to turn real quick as that bed was folding up for, yeah. for him to catch it and for her to pop up like that. But it's a funny bit, and she seems really cute in that moment, I think. Um, so he goes into his office the next day, and uh, Regret tells him that, the cops uh, came by. They're looking for the kid because they found the body of, of her father in the river. And some, I don't know what agency found out because he's like, seems like he's drifting through town. They're staying yeah. at a hotel. Like, I don't know who kept track of the fact that he yeah. had a kid with him and that they're on the lookout for yeah, her. Somehow they know that he had a child. Yeah, even the though child he services wasn't... is on yeah. top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so they came by to look for him and, uh, he basically says, I think we should give her up to the cops. And he's like, well, no, nah, we'll hold on to her. She's worth 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I but, guess but may- like, maybe they didn't who? know the father is dead yet. No, they had to because no, the they, cops wouldn't yeah, be looking for her. Yeah, he told them that. So I, don't I don't know why he's holding on to her here. Well, I think because he knows th- he, he knows that they would send her to an orphanage and he wants to I don't, do better than that. No, I think, I think he was worried that they were going to get him for kidnapping or something. Yeah, th- that's what he says later. He, he says that. If he admits, because he's already lied to to about not having the having the kid, yeah. Because uh, the cop came in asking if if the father had been there, and he said yeah. Uh, and you know, the, 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 it's, a, it's a, I have a, a lot of a lot of the things with this movie that bother me, or that not bother me, but uh, I feel like there's a lot of really great jokes, but they all fall really flat, yeah, because they're not really delivered all that well, and. So in this scene, like when the because the, the the banter between the cop and Matthau is really good. Yeah. Like he's like he's like oh who would you bet on? He's like oh I bet on such and such in the fourth. It's oh like, that race already happened. What, what do you know? I won. And and Matthau hands him money. Like it, it's, yeah. It all they all either they don't give you enough time to process the joke. Yeah. Or it just didn't land well for me i also feel like that's not necessarily him tricking him out of money that was just like a, i came here to get money i'm gonna make a false pretense for you to give it to me exactly right. yeah this is their this is the way they do bribes yeah and you know and so he asked about the kid and he said the father left here and he just, the kid left with him yeah because he wouldn't leave a kid here right yeah right but it's weird that the cops are already looking because this is before the father is dead then or before they know he's dead they're just like oh he owes people money and we're looking for him and they already know that he and his daughter are missing somewhere. So he goes into his office and he like unscrews this thing in the floor and pulls up just stacks of cash. Apparently a million dollars worth of 1934 bucks. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he empties out yeah more than just the floor. He empties out like everything he has. Yeah. And it really is like all of the money that he's been saving for presumably decades. And he takes it to meet with Blackie. Blackie's immediately annoying the kid by asking how old she is and she doesn't want to talk to him. And he's like, oh, maybe maybe she doesn't like you. And he's like, no, 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 kids love me. And he's like, maybe she's not even a kid. Maybe she's a midget. 
<laughs> Let me see your mouth. Like, yeah. like, he's like, like going to check her teeth to see yeah, if like, she has like, like she's a horse. <laughs> yeah, he's like she's not a horse either. And he puts his finger in her mouth as she bites it. And she's like, I'm six after she bites his <laughs> finger. And then uh, Jones notices that uh, on on his way through the casino, he's so quick with things that he notices that the roulette wheel has been fixed. Mm-hmm. So that and obviously, if he's noticing it on the way in, then some of the more observant. Uh, right people are going to catch on to that as they're walking into this establishment but um he wants to run basically an unfair casino which is it's overkill because a casino is already favors the house so it's not necessary to uh, to set up this roulette wheel and he said if people catch on that you're cheating these games then you know everyone's going to leave you're not going to have a, a customer right. base especially with the the upscale clientele that he's supposed to be catering to right and he makes the opposite argument. He makes he says, "Well, th- these are rich people. They expect to be ripped off." It's like you, you. If, if you're the house, you're already you're already winning. You're already yeah, ripping them out. Exactly. So uh, while they're arguing, the kid runs off, and then when Sorrowful notices, he's like, "Oh, I got to find this kid." And he's walking through the casino as it's being constructed and questioning workmen. Like, did you see a kid about this tall? And they're like, "That tall? Like, how about this? What, tall? what about this tall?" It's just like. Hi, this hi. You sure not a little lower? What are you, a tailor? You need it to the inch? You want I should finger the wrong kid? I think I think the point of that scene is to just be like, he hasn't really been paying attention to this kid and has no idea how how old she is or how tall mm. she is or anything like that. But these other people are like, no, oh, it's a child. Like, I remember exactly how tall it was because it's a child. But he finds her in the backyard. She basically wandered out of the house and climbed onto a horse with the woman who owns this property. And they're on Sir Galahad, which is, uh, in the original film, she, her parents, uh, her, her mom specifically used to read her the stories of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And so she's constantly naming the people in these gangs after characters from those stories. But she reserves the name Sir Galahad until the very end of the film when she decides that the Walter Matthau character from that movie is Sir mm. Galahad because he's like the bravest knight of them all and uh so this is like the only thing that's left of that story right it's just um, a call back to the original yeah. movie but there there's a lot of stuff in the original that i think like i don't know why you would take it out of this and then there's a lot of stuff in the original that they kept where i'm like i wouldn't have kept that part either um i, I feel like you could mix these two movies together and get a really good version like i think walter Matthau and shirley temple would have been a really interesting mm-hmm crossover but they're he's only like eight years older than her yeah (laughs) because the movies came apart uh, it came out very far apart but um it's kind of like how i feel like i I love Haley steinfield but yeah i think that uh, kim darby jeff bridges would be the perfect true grit because i honestly don't think that uh the duke is that great in uh, the yeah, original I, True I, Grit. Yeah, you, even my dad, who's like yeah. a big Western John Wayne fan, was just like, the new True Grit was far superior to the and old True Grit. I, I might not say that about the whole film, but I think that Jeff Bridges does a much better job mm-hmm. as Rooster Cogburn than John Wayne does. But I think Kim Darby is a better Maddie Ross than Haley Steinfeld. Uh, I, I don't know if I completely agree, but I do like both of their performances. And, but they are different performances. I think okay. Haley Steinfeld plays her as more of like a prude and a nerd. Mm. And I think Kim Darby plays her with a lot more attitude, which I feel like works better as like the foil for the Rooster Cogburn right. character. And Kim Darby is two years older than Jeff Bridges. Is she? Okay. <laughs> well, that's another, that would be a 
you need a time machine um, for that one. But yeah, so he starts talking to Amanda, uh, the woman on the horse with uh, with the child, um, and she explains that she owns this property that they'll they'll basically be partners because she is Blackie's girl, mm-hmm. and uh, and if he's going to be partners with Blackie, then he's partners with her, which is the beginning of them kind of semi flirting with each other. Right. Uh, she's she tells him a little bit about her horse, Sir Galahad, and how he's running a lot of races, but he hasn't won any. Uh, he came in fifth, I think, mm-hmm. in a race, fifth or sixth in a race. He's a slow starter and he has trouble with the gate. You mean it opens? Yeah. <laughs> and, and see, and, and again, that was another perfect example. That's a funny joke, yeah. but it, it moved. They moved too quickly past it. Yeah. I didn't have time to appreciate it. I think I also don't get a lot of gambling references because a lot of the jokes in this movie, I just don't understand. <laughs> well, it, I think they're also trying to emulate that '30s like banter, like really quick. Or the Mid-Atlantic? Or... Yeah, the Mid-Atlantic, like, quick banter. Yeah. yeah. So, like, the point is supposed to be that you spit these jokes out really fast, and, and if you didn't catch them, then that, that's your own problem. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't work when the rest of the pacing is like a typical 1980s movie. Like, either stay in fast forward so that I'm in that mindset the whole time, or take your time with these jokes when you get to them. Well, and you don't cast Walter Matthau in that role because he's he's the perfect choice. I'm just saying I'm just saying he's great at what he does, but I don't think he does, you know, he doesn't do a Cary Grant dialogue, right. you know, he I doesn't agree. do the quick the quick-witted thing. Yeah, he's delivering the the fast joke with like slow delivery. Yeah. And, and everyone no else re- is moving really fast and ignores it. No one reacts to it. Yeah, no one reacts to the joke. Yeah. yeah. If you had Cary Grant saying like yeah, the gate opens, and, and and they would have someone go hmm, like like yeah. like be frumpy, and that that doesn't happen. Yeah, like it's just the jokes just fly over everyone's head. But it also seems like she's making a concerted effort not to react to him every time he says something insulting to her. Later on, presumably the same week, while they're preparing to open the club, Amanda sees uh, Sorrowful at a bike race. And it's super late at night, mm-hmm. but he brought the mark with her because that's his collateral and he's just holding on to her. But she's asleep um, because it's late. And she goes over to him and she's like, you can't have that kid out here. That kid needs to be in bed at home. This is unacceptable. And uh, he just like kind of sloughs her off like, oh, I don't really care what you have to say. I'm, I'm here to do my job and the kid doesn't care. He starts to head back to his home and regret stops him outside and says, hey, the police are here. They're looking for the kid. He bribes the cop to leave him alone and says that he doesn't know where the girl is. Yeah, so this is that scene. Yeah. Uh, I think earlier they were mentioning that the... That he was he was missing and that... Yeah. Yeah. That, that they, they, knew, they knew about the kid, but he was missing. So uh, that night, after he bribes the cops to leave him alone and leave his establishment alone, he... Uh, puts Marky in the bed. Marky is what they call her in the first movie, but the girl who yeah. is only ever referred to as the kid. I don't yeah, think they ever give her a name in this version. Uh, but he puts her in the bed and she says, you know, my parents used to read me stories. In the original, she says, they used to read me the stories of King Arthur and the and the knights. And so as he's reading the horse race stuff out of the newspaper, he keeps changing the names of the horses to characters from King Arthur's tales. And she really likes it. Like, she's, like, totally, like, into the story. And later on, he, like, tries to read her the actual King Arthur stories. And she's like, well, what what happened to him kicking the dirt in the faces of it? And she's like, yeah, but that's not, that's not how it really goes. Like, suddenly she's, like, moving into the gambling world and she doesn't care about, like, the fantasy stuff that her parents taught her. 
and it's part of her transformation to like being uh being a bookie instead of being a, a child um which he doesn't like um and that transformation is happening here too to this girl but not as dramatically yeah. as it did in the original. there'll be references to her gambling later yeah <laughs> and like other other criminal activity but so he reads her to sleep by just reading her the results of various races he takes her the next day to the salvation army to get her address for the opening of their club and as soon as they get there basically amanda's like oh what is this dress is a little big why don't we change you into a different outfit <laughs> because she has like or what is no, she she wants to hem she's the, gonna alter she's the gonna hem the bottom of the skirt because he bought her dress that was way too big for right. her <laughs> but walter matthau uh, is like running this place like rick would run uh, his place in right. casablanca he he he's just watching out the window and immediately goes over to brian dennehy and saying hey you know the guy brought phony dice in yeah and uh you know this this woman's like stuffing chips into her brassiere and brian Dennehy is just going check like like things he's going to take care of yeah but they mentioned that the guy who's switching the dice out was like this like you know like fat max or something like that yeah he's like, like why did you even let him in here he's, he's like, like he wore a tux he wore a tux and we all thought he was a waiter like, <laughs> like again a really funny joke but it just moves on yeah uh because and i really like brian dennehy always yeah like brian dennehy is is never not good even uh, even in other parts of this movie just watching him in the background yeah and he's always on yeah um later on at the horse race see, uh, we'll get to that but you know he, he he's just great i'm sorry i just yeah. <laughs> and when he after he goes and escorts the guy with the bad dice out he brings it back in and throws him on the table and he's like seven every time and he's like yeah he's lucky that uh blackie told me not to break his arms just his fingers yeah <laughs> or something like that well and then the their um their accountant is like you want these herpes and nah, i already got a pair he's like, and he's like thanks and he pockets them <laughs> so they're gonna go cheat somewhere else yeah. later uh jones and amanda talk about marky's future basically she she brought uh the girl up to her childhood bedroom which is still exactly the way that it was when she was a child there's like a totally awesome there's like an entire playhouse and like a bed on a loft and it's covered in stuffed animals yeah and so this is like just a a giant playground for for the kid it's like the playroom from mary poppins almost yeah they they talk for a minute and then about what what she's going to do she needs schooling she needs someone to look after her and he he doesn't want to tell her all this information but he can't put her in school because the cops are looking for her Mm -hmm. and and she's like well why did you even come up here and he's like you know what i was just going to check on the kid and she's like what about the kid And he's like i don't know why i came up here i'm gonna go (laughs) and he turns it around to leave as he comes down the stairs blackie is starting to get suspicious of the relationship between amanda and uh jones and he says what do you think of the dame and he's like, she's a nut. I like her too. <laughs> Which is just a funny exchange between the two of them. Well, because Blackie, Blackie and Walter Matthau, I mean, they're not friends, but they are right. close, I guess would be the word. Yeah. Because dis- despite everything that's happening, uh, when Walter Matthau was making demands about changing the casino to be make it honest, Blackie was totally accommodating. Yeah. Like he, he totally understood where Matthau was coming from and was willing to to use his expertise as a professional gambler yeah i think he also he respects his intelligence and when he hears him say you're stupid if you leave the wheel the way that you did then he's like oh i guess i am stupid i guess that would be stupid because he said it would be stupid so he goes and he makes the change jones talks with regret about 
some of Amanda's concerns for the child that she needs someone to cook for her, clean for her, teach her. And he decides that he's going to collect on debts that he is owed mm. from people who are chefs, from people who are housekeepers. Well, they aren't <laughs> but, really those things. <laughs> right. They're really other things. Like, I think the one who's going to be the housekeeper is a madam yeah. of some sort. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, and the, and, the, and the cook was, I think he was, like, cooking for the army or something. No, he, he prepared a pot roast to poison someone with arsenic. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, they, but he also said that he... he He's a pickpocket, I think, he, yeah. Well, one of them normally cooks for a large group of people, though. Like, yes, like, yeah. Like... I thought it was for the army. But oh, uh, I think he, he said it in prison, in Sing oh, Sing. Oh, maybe it was prison. <laughs> yeah. But he says, he's the guy who we got to cook that pot roast to kill, like, Philly the Squealer or something yeah. like that. And then he's like, I didn't know that was him. Philly's last words were delicious, just like my mother's. But he don't only have to cook with arsenic. He can uh, cook very tasty without. <laughs> but he can cook without arsenic. <laughs> but, but, but what's weird about this scene is that Jones gets really kind of upset about the death of the squealer is like i didn't know he did that like he his delivery of that line was just like oh man i didn't like, read that at all i was just like i felt really bad like he like he felt bad about it oh i, I didn't and, think that was the case at all uh, I, uh, I guess that's possible that he he because he doesn't seem like the the murderer type yeah <laughs> but and then there's another great joke later about the pot roast don't touch the pot roast <laughs> like, um, people put strange things in pot roast uh and then the nanny, I think, is the old lady at the beginning, right? Who he was berating, like, and she's she cleans classrooms, so she he's hoping for like a goodwill hunting kind of. Yeah. Scenario. Oh, right. She's supposed to be some sort of teacher because she cleans classrooms. Like, yeah, she cleaned a school for twelve years. You don't think some of that's gonna rub off? <laughs> he he actually gets a whole new house, and he brings all these people that owe him debts to the house. Well, is it an apartment, or are they taking residency in a hotel? Because there's a clerk. maybe that's what it is. Cause, yeah, because they asked the. Uh, because when when the kid goes missing in a later part, like she, he runs down to the clerk. Yeah, and she's like, hey, "It's not my job to take care of your kid." Yeah, but yeah, I think you're right. It is residency in a hotel, but he's obviously like splurging here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and also not to mention that he's cashing in on all these debts, and he's not getting anything out of it. It's purely to make sure that she has the right upbringing. Well, he gets his own bed back. <laughs> right, and he pretends that that's all it's about. But she stops him, and she's like, "Well, wait, why are we moving? Like, isn't my dad going to go to?" your old place if he's looking for us and he wouldn't he would go to the booking place where he dropped her off but um but he says oh we're moving because like you said i need my own bed not not because of any other reason she's like is my daddy dead and he says no 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 uh he's he's just looking for money sometimes it takes a long time to look for money and she's like well normally he sends me postcards and he's like he's probably in some place where they don't have postcards you know somewhere somewhere completely in the middle of nowhere and it's like this is Immediately where he should have just came forward yeah. with it. The, the, her delivery of, is my daddy dead? Yeah. And it's she's, your opportunity, man. Yeah, like, <laughs> she's already considered this. You wouldn't mm-hmm. be blowing her mind if you told her the truth right now. She's come right. to the conclusion already. But her mom's only been dead for, like, a month or two. Right. Which is really tragic that she would then lose her other parent. Right. So Amanda and Jones go to visit Sir Galahad before the race with the kid. Um, and she goes to to pet it, and she's like, "Oh well, just just be careful." You know, she gets really anxious before before a race, and then Walter Mouth is like, "Not the mouth! Stay away from the mouth!" Because he's worried the horse is going to bite the girl. But uh, but he keeps telling her this horse sucks. It's not going to do anything. I've read mm-hmm. up on it, and she's like, "Oh no, he's going to win this race. I I found the right kind of race and the right kind of competitors, and he's definitely going to win." 
looked up his races. He'll have a hard time coming in last. <laughs> um, uh, they watch him lose the race by a lot. Yeah, he um, comes in last. Yeah. Distance is wrong for him. Mile and a half is his distance, don't you think? Don't you think he could go a mile and a half? If you give him enough time. <laughs> that was the best line of this whole scene. Uh, but again, she doesn't react to it at all when mm-hmm. he says that. She's like, I mean, the other racers were like, she just immediately off on the next thing, like mm-hmm. running over his joke. And she's um, and she's visibly upset. Right. And, and, and the I kid think, comforts her. Yeah. The kid realizes that she's crying and moves to comfort her. But I think they're both crying mm-hmm. as, as they embrace there. And he says, well, you know what? I'll, I'll go find a horse that's a sure thing. We can put our money on that and everybody will win and it'll be happy. And it seems like they're basically, they don't want to be at the horse races anymore. They're too yeah. sad about Sir Galahad. So they take her to like a fairground to see a fireworks show. Well, yeah. It was like, it was like I, I, got a, I got a line on a horse that'll never lose guarantee. Right, yeah. And it's, you know, cut to a carousel. A carousel, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and but, it does seem like it's working. She's cheered up. Yeah, but Herbie is following them this whole time. Oh, right. And, and even when Walter Matthau tries like one of the carnival games where he shoots a gun, Herbie fires his gun at the same time to scare them yeah yeah that's well, horrifying you like firing a gun in a crowded yeah. carnival <laughs> um i also applaud herbie's choice of gun he's got like a german mauser <laughs> it's just like what a, what an it's interesting, a weird pick yeah what an interesting choice for a gun they bring the kid home and they put her to bed um amanda gives her a kiss in the bed and she throws her arms around amanda's neck and then she's like your turn sorrowful like you got to give her a kiss too. And he holds his hat up to like block the kiss so that Amanda can't watch him kiss the girl. Mm-hmm. And right when he makes contact with her, she throws her arms around him and hugs him really tight. And then she goes to sleep and the two of them decide they're going to fumble through the fridge in the kitchen to try and find something to eat. That's when they, yeah. he's like, not the pot roast. <laughs> he knocks it out of her hand. Yeah, but also the food just all fell out of the fridge on the yeah. floor. Mm-hmm. Like all of it was just loose in the fridge, including the pot roast. And well, this is the 30s. So this is a bunch of other bacteria. Meat. Yeah, but it just, just fell on the floor. It like, was like, you're all just going to pick up this loose food that was on the floor and throw it back in the fridge yeah. to eat later. And it was all like, it was like oranges. It's like, who puts oranges in the fridge? Is that what you do? Well, yeah. And also, like, a lot of it was fruits, but some of it, like, it just was, like, meat. cooked fish and, yeah. like, cooked birds. And it's just, like, it just fell out onto the ground. And you're just picking it up and eating it out of your hands. Yeah. And, and I guarantee when he's trying to force feed her a piece of the fish and she goes, there's a bone. There's a bone. That, that, that was, was real. That was, <laughs> that was not a scripted yeah. line. And that she still her. gets a bone after that. Yeah. Because she's like, she's like, oh, I got you, another you one. You hear the, like the panic in her voice. There's a bone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he, he's telling her if she hasn't had cooked whitefish, then she, has, she doesn't know what she's missing. And so they just start tearing it apart. There, Like just a cold whitefish that fell out of the fridge on the floor. Yeah. Yum. Um, <laughs> in the morning. Well, uh, uh she wants more to happen. Right. Because she kisses him and and he's not, he's really conflicted because he likes the kiss, but he gets up and checks the window and Herbie's still waiting outside. So he knows that nothing can proceed beyond this point. Right. Like, he's she, been warned. Yeah. And so he has to escort her out. Yeah. This is, this she is like John, John Travolta and Uma Thurman. Like if he keeps looking out and sees one of Marcellus Wallace's people outside, mm-hmm. he's like, no, no, no. We, this has to end with us being friends because otherwise I'm in a lot of trouble. So he sends her out. In the morning, uh, he wakes up and the girl is gone. When he runs downstairs uh, in his underwear to ask the clerk in the lobby, she's like, 
well, I'm I'm not in charge of your kid. I mean, I asked her where she was going, but I didn't tell her she couldn't leave because that's not my place. And she's like, she said she was going to try and find her father. Mm-hmm. We all assumed you were her father. Yeah. Like, once again, another another weird yeah. pedophile like yeah. insinuation. We're going to have to check the cameras in your room. What? What? Nothing. 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 Never mind. Um <laughs> <laughs> this is 1934. There's literally like a guy cranking yeah. a camera behind the wall. So. Yeah, it's the guy that invented the cameras behind the wall, taking as many pictures as he can in a row. So uh, he, he he runs around town looking for her. Yeah. First in his underwear, then regret gives him the advice of getting dressed. Why don't you put some clothes on first? Why didn't you tell me? Um, and then he starts checking hotels. And he, when he finally finds her, uh, the hotel clerk for that hotel... Had already, just called the police. Yeah, and so they're already on their way. And uh, they make a run for it, but she's resisting. Right. Because, you know, she wants to see her father, and he's like, he's not here. He's like, he will be. And then finally he has to admit it. Yeah. That, that your father's dead. And, and and she's not even upset at that. Yeah. She's upset that, that he's been lying, lying about to it. her. Like, it's like, you said so. I, her first line there is like, no, no, no. My my mother is dead and he's like no your father's dead i didn't want to tell you and uh and yeah she she tells him that she doesn't trust him and she doesn't want to go near him he tells the guy at the hotel to basically just just tell the police that the girl ran off and you couldn't keep up with her Mm -hmm. and so they would like move out the back door to where they're having this disagreement they take her back to amanda's and uh she's really upset and crying in bed and and amanda says you should go talk to her yeah and this is where malter matthew is like trying to trying to cheer her up with like, oh, we'll go to the carnival or we'll go to get some hot dogs and she's not responding. And so finally he apologizes for lying to her and says, you can stay with, you can stick around with me as long as you keep your nose clean and don't cause any trouble. And then she, you can, Walter Matthau is even getting like really choked up yeah. in this. Uh, you can hear his voice kind of like quivering and then she hugs him and that's like, this is, yeah. this is it. This is like a, uh, the big turning point for the both of them. Yeah. Do we do we get a hint here that she's learned to play cards and um, is winning money from I people? I can't remember when. Or does when that she, come later? Maybe that's later. When she first learns to play cards. Oh, I think it's I think it's after the, the next horse race because uh, he sneaks into her room. Yeah. Well, we, we, at some point we see her in her bed at his house with money mm-hmm. and he tells, he, he asks oh, that's her right. where she yeah. got it. And it was that, I, I don't recall if it was the... The nanny or the the maid, but one of one of them had been teaching her how to play and, and taught her so well that they're now losing to her. Right, and mm-hmm. and at one, and then later she had more money and uh, and he asked her about it and and he asked if the if the, if the lady had paid her debts and she's like, well, no, I, she gave me this marker because she she owes me a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> he goes shopping and gets a brand new suit to wear to this night of operating the club. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody keeps giving him shit about it the whole way through yeah. the place. Uh, even, even when he walks into the back room, uh, Herbie goes, "Excuse me, sir, this is a private area." Is like, is like, whoop, sorrowful. Like, does yeah. <laughs> it's like, when's the last time he bought a new suit? When he graduated from public school. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's kind of panicking right now because uh, somebody with deep pockets came in and is about to break the bank. And this has kind of played a little bit of sorrowful's fault because he didn't let him install the mm-hmm. bad wheel and so this guy's playing roulette and just rocking it we kept thinking that it was gonna it was gonna be a turn like he did have a, the bad wheel running again but it was running so that this guy could win so he could take 
Sorrowful's mm-hmm. half of the money that they had invested in this um, operation. But that's not what's happening here. Yeah, it's and just I thought, a guy with a lot of money. Yeah, and I thought that it was going to be revealed that he was cheating. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, they didn't do yeah, either of those it's things. Just, just a, a lucky guy. And even later on, uh, Amanda says, like, oh, you don't know what uh, what I can do. You don't know how I could destroy you. And I was like, is she about to admit that she was working with the guy that took mm-hmm. all the money? Um, all no, of these things would have been happening. a more interesting, fun ending to, I, to, I to think, do a twist or a con or something. I think the way this ends is better than the way the other one ends, the original. Oh, no. I think the, the ending is better in this than in in the first one but we'll we'll get into that once we're past it uh so they're cleaned out yes and even when they're so when they're shutting down for the night even the accountant goes when i should lock the safe what for (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a lot of great lines so the next day blackie is unexpectedly happy he's he's in sorrowful's office before jones gets in and he's like oh uh what are you doing here and he says I got a, I got something they can't lose. What we're going to do is we're going to take all of our money and we're going to bet it on Sir Galahad. Mm. And because the odds, like, if he wins, we would make insane bank. And he says, all we have to do is dope the horse. And we got this new stuff from Europe. And he's like, which Europe? I don't know. The one over the ocean. <laughs> but this dope is so powerful that it will kill the horse within a few days because. Oh, um, well, as soon as the race is over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, if he administers this specific drug to the horse, it will kill the horse after the race. And obviously, Sorrowful doesn't want to do that because the girl's totally in love with the horse. And, mm-hmm. and so is Amanda. Wow. Yeah, and he loves the girl that loves the horse. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Dudley Do-Right. Yeah. <laughs> Always killing horses, that Dudley Do-Right. But that was the plot of Dudley Do-Right. Like, like, he loved the girl, but the girl loved his horse. So he killed the horse. <laughs> now I remember. I never saw that movie. Now I remember. <laughs> I remember that I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so uh, Jones decides that instead of doing that, but to still win the race, he's going to spend every last penny that he has paying every other jockey to lose the race. Mm-hmm. And then regrets like, well, you're going to have to split it however many ways, like however many horses there are in the race. And he's like, well, I don't have to pay the jockey that's actually on sir galahad i can just let him think he's winning (laughs) but um the the plan mostly works but it's funny uh, the night before regret says if the plan doesn't work i'd hate to be in your shoes because they will be made out of cement (laughs) and the plan almost works the jockeys try extremely hard too hard to lose the race they're like yanking their horses backwards Mm And pretending like, to fall off their horse flagging sir yeah. galahad forward come on at one point they on. like shock sir galahad from behind yeah. try to get one guy horse. falls off of a horse totally falls off it looks real bad like i'm sure it was planned but it's just a really solid stunt because it looks like the guy hurt himself but sir galahad wins the race but is immediately disqualified for interference amanda notices jones's reaction to this and mm-hmm. knows that he's in on it um, and she's mad that he won't explain what happened. She thinks that he just bribed them so that the horse would win because she wanted it to win, not because he was probably going to get killed if it didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she doesn't realize that because it's been disqualified, his death is now back on the table. Yeah, and It's a very likely scenario. And so he hands off the kid because he doesn't want the kid to get caught in any Karas fire that's about to happen. Right. Uh, and so he just kind of runs off. Yeah, and uh, so that night he comes back to uh, the kid's room through the window. He waits for the maid to leave, um, and then he comes in through the window, 
and she they they hug and she's like laughing when they hug and when they separate she took his wallet mm-hmm. which is another trick that she learned from one of one of uh her her several teachers of crime and uh he tells her that he's going to take her out of town that they have to get away because the police are after him but after sir gala had lost the race or was disqualified blackie basically tipped the cops off that he has this girl mm-hmm. and she's at this house and you can go get her there so before he's even able to get out of the room the cops come in and they take the kid away jones finds out uh from regret that if he wants the kid back that he would have to show up to court to get custody of the kid but if he goes to court he's going to get intercepted by blackie and his guys Mm -hmm. and they're going to kill him so he says i want you to send a message to blackie for me and tell him i'm going to meet him at the river so he goes to deliver this message and he's literally delivering a handwritten message on the inside of his hat Mm -hmm. to blackie who's sitting down to dinner at at the magic castle i think right yeah that's looks like that's that's where that one was filmed yeah and uh and he's reading this note off the end of the head he keeps like tipping it away from his chest to read the next sentence but then tony curtis eventually catches up and, and starts reading it aloud with yeah. him and they're like <laughs> their lips are moving in sync with each other but basically the note says like hey i invite you to meet me at the river where i'm gonna throw you in the river again which is known by one and all <laughs> and uh and if you don't come then you're a chicken and so the next day he's like all right well i guess i'm gonna go to the river and they meet and before he can th- they start like fighting immediately Walter Mather's like, well, no, hold on. You got to hear the terms, dummy. Like, we haven't even discussed, like, what the challenge is. And it's like, oh, now it's evolved into, like, there's a challenge. Yeah, and there's yeah. stakes on both sides. So the agreement is that if Jones is able to throw Blackie into the river, he's going to stop trying to kill him. And if Blackie throws Jones in the river, he's also not going to kill him. But he gets the whole booking joint. Mm-hmm. Which, he needs a lot of money. He's in debt to people all over the country. Because he's he's kind of borrowing from Peter to pay Paul all over the yeah. place and they fight for a while i'm pretty convinced jones jumps in this river on purpose i don't think so they make it look like he he runs at the guy he gets he gets attacked on the other side and so he's not in the like so he yeah he's he's charging at him but he's able like the the woman hits him uh when he's charging at blackie and so he runs straight past blackie because the woman hit him out of the way and he falls in the river because his initial punch hits tony curtis and he almost falls off the edge of the pier yeah but regains his balance and that's when walter matthau looks at his hand is like i told you quarters like but nickels are cheaper it's like the, i guess the joke of that is had it yeah. been quarters it would have been enough of been a successful punch. Yeah. okay well maybe maybe that negates the point but i i feel like he definitely wanted to give up the bookie joint anyway because he thought it was becoming a bad influence on the kid. This is a way to like get rid of it and save face. Yeah, and not look like he was giving it up for a child. Like his yeah. heart melted. Yeah. Um, and and exactly and it's like and like I said, he's he's trying to help Blackie. He's like, yeah. If you kill me, you're still in debt. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't change. And also, for you've you. broken the law in front of all of these people. Yeah. But so yeah, so he uh, he get he jumps in the river on accident, and then shows up to court just completely sopping wet. Uh, the judge has just told Amanda, sorry, you can't have this kid because mm-hmm. you're not married. And probably the best performance in this whole movie is by this judge. Yeah. Who's just like snapping at people. Yeah. You're dripping in my courtroom. Yeah. You may address me as your honor. Would it, it may please the court to know that I just fell in the river or something like that. 
but yeah, so and Joan says, I want to adopt her. And she says, well, you're a single guy and I'm, I'm not going to give this kid to single parents. Yeah. And cause Amanda Worthington is also there yeah. pleading and, and she almost accuses her of being a whore. Cause she's you're a like, very attractive. It's like, it's like, I have references. I'm sure you do. You're a very attractive woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what? I didn't, I thought it was either that or she was hitting on her. I couldn't tell. <laughs> she's like, I'm sure you do. You're a very attractive woman. Marry me and you can have this kid. But she keeps telling them, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give this child to a single person. Even though Amanda's the obvious choice here. And yeah. Yeah. it doesn't matter that she's single if she's independently wealthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just give her the kid. That, that's but, enough. But the thing is, she's not wealthy. The whole reason she was Blackie's partner was to buy the house back from the bank. Yeah, because she oh, lost okay. everything. And so she was doing this illegal stuff to get it back. Yeah. But um, so the two of them ask the judge for a quick moment to discuss. And they move out into the hallway and he says, so are you going to be difficult about this too? And she's like, is that a proposal? And he's like, is it yes or no? Like he doesn't have any patience for her. He's just like, come on. We're obviously we have to tell her we're getting married at least if we mm-hmm. want the custody. And she says, oh yes, of course. Yeah, we'll, we'll get married. And, and then he's like, okay. And then we'll divorce as soon as the kid. She's like, no, no, no. If we're going to get married, we're going to stay married. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to go into this half ass and I'm not going to give them an excuse to take the kid away from us. And she also says like, and as as dumb as it sounds, I'm for some reason in love with you. And you're also, but for a much better reason, in love with me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they move back into the courtroom and the kid is sitting up on the on the uh, judge's desk like they're playing cards. And mm-hmm. she just beat the judge at, yeah, at a the, game of cards. And the judge goes into her wallet and starts pulling out some money. Yeah. And, and I, like, I like how he asked the judge, what are the odds that we would get the kid if we got married? Yeah. And she just... Really like eleven quickly. to ten, yeah, eleven to ten. Like, like immediately gives him like good odds. Yeah, um, is eleven to ten good odds? Yeah, because like it's better than fifty fifty. Yeah, it, it's 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 essentially like uh, eleven out of twenty one, right? Well, no, eleven to ten is like uh, for every ten you get eleven, so it, it's like it's a very easy bet because you only make a dollar. Oh, okay. If you bet ten dollars, you'll get eleven dollars if you win. So it's a very it's a sure bet. Yeah, I got it. Okay. See, this is this is why I had promises with the movie because they kept making these jokes that I don't understand because I don't understand anything about gambling. Well, you needed to play more Vegas stakes for Super Nintendo. (laughs) See, the trick is you put all of your money on red, and then if you lose, you turn the game off, you turn it back on, you load your save, and you put all your money on black. That's how that's how I made billions because there was no max on the table for some reason. <laughs> so they step back into the courtroom and uh, and they basically just walk towards the kid and then hold hands, indicating we as one are going to be adopting yeah. you as your parents, and that's the end of the film. And we iris out on the kids, right? Kid, plural. kid, kid, plural, um, single, yeah. <laughs> kid, plural. <laughs> there's there's a word for that. I forget what it is. Kids. <laughs> It was just one kid. <laughs> just to clear that up. I must be seeing double. Two kid. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the end of the film. It's cute. Um, Wait, how does the other one end? The original ending. Uh, so they, everyone in the gang is uncomfortable with how adult and crimey and gambly she's getting. And so they wanted to turn back into a kid. So they all agree to host a party where they'll dress up as the knights that she has told them they are. And 
the horse that she is in love with this is the same kind of story that the horse she's in love with is the princess's charge and so they dress it up to look like a horse from a medieval story with like stuff draped over it and everything and she's so happy and she's kind of reverts back to the child that she was at the beginning of the story she's riding on the horse when the bad guy comes in it's not he's not blackie in that version but he's a different guy and uh he comes in and he says you owe me money you cheated me and and gets in gets in people's faces gets really close to the horse and the horse rears up on its back legs throws the girl off knocks her into a coma she needs to have like surgery and she needs a blood transfusion while she's unconscious yeah (laughs) it's like super dark for what the rest of the film is but uh she's she's in a coma and everyone in the whole gang went in to get their blood type checked nobody's a match except for sorrowful the bad guy the bad guy Uh, not sorrowful okay but the bad guy feels so terrible about what he did that he comes and he does the blood transfusion and it's kind of a sweet moment at the end because the doctors are like oh you know what i think it's working and the girl wakes up and she's like she turns over and starts talking to him because she had given him a night name earlier in the movie and she's like oh it's you it's sir whoever and uh and the doctors are like yeah that's right he has really good blood and this guy's been a criminal his whole life and and he's being told that he has good blood and he thinks that it's like a statement about his like inner self and it's like oh i got good blood i'm a i I could be a good like it doesn't matter what i've done in my life i got good blood i can be a good person and then he walks out and that's the end of the movie is that he's he's successfully saved this girl's life he also put her in the coma but yeah Yeah. okay all right but it doesn't end with the the sorrowful and the girl getting married and i mean they they talk about that but it's not out of a court obligation which i think is a funnier Mm -hmm. explanation for that that joining yeah uh i was really confused when I read the IMDb synopsis that someone wrote for this movie before I started watching it. Oh, does it have that in it? No, it says, uh, let's see. Uh, the sprightly youngster has a positive effect on the curmudgeon guardian and uh, is sunshine to his life. Little girl decides to play matchmaker for Sorrowful and Lonely Widow, Amanda, by setting them up on a date. What? Yeah, that doesn't happen in the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's also not I wouldn't call her sprightly at all. She's like morose most of the time. So, I feel like I feel like this was like a blending of those two yeah. ideas. But they had like the names right, like uh Malter Matthau and Julie Andrews as these characters. That's interesting. But it's like that's not what happens in Maybe the movie. Maybe someone at all. like me who watched both of them the same day <laughs> and then just confused them with each other. The uh, writer director of the film Walter Bernstein, he is uncredited as having written the the first draft of Magnificent Seven, um, obviously adapted from the Japanese film, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Seven Samurai. But he was blacklisted, and the script was rewritten by other people, so he doesn't get a credit at all. He also wrote the Sidney Lumet Failsafe, which is the not Doctor Strange Love movie from 1964. That okay, I, I still need to see. Um, that shares a lot of similarities. Um, he wrote the Molly Maguires, the Sean Connery yeah. oh, movie, yeah. um, and he also plays annie's date outside of a theater somewhere in annie hall i don't remember which scene exactly um the music here is henry mancini yeah who uh he did breakfast at tiffany's he wrote the pink panther theme um he also composed the uh music for newhart the series (laughs) um so we have bob newhart here with him and also pink panther has a connection to julie andrews who was married to blake edwards well because i think henry mancini also did victor victoria right yes and she was for a long time she was 
just in Blake Edwards movies. Actually, this movie is in the middle of like an 18-year streak where Julie Andrews only did movies that were directed by her husband, Blake Edwards, except for this right in the middle. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, am I seeing this right? That he also did the Peter Gunn theme? I don't know that. What is Peter Gunn? That's a do 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 like from Spy Hunter and Oh, okay. That's a good that's a good theme. Yeah, I didn't see that one. And most importantly, it looks like in 1990 he did the score for Ghost to Dad. Oh, what a great movie. A shame someone had to ruin it for all of us. Yeah, I can't watch that movie anymore. The assistant to the executive producer uh, was Charles Mathau, the son, obviously, of Walter Mathau. Mm. Um, he also wrote and directed a movie called Freaky Deaky, which was adapted from an Elmore Leonard novel with Christian Slater, Crispin Glover, and Michael J. White, yeah. which makes me want to see it, kind yeah. of. Um, he also played a character named Athletic in Bad News Bears, and a character, his very first acting credit was Boy in Charlie Varick. So... Oh, that's I love fun. Charlie Berry. He, he got his son a, a acting role. Right, because Matthew obviously in yeah, Bad is, News Bears. is the lead of both of those films. We'll have another Bad News Bears one coming up soon. Yeah, next next episode. Um, Walter Matthau played Sorrowful Jones. Uh, he is uh, one half of the odd couple. Um, a third or fourth of Grumpy Old Men. Isn't there a bunch <laughs> of Grumpy Old Men in that movie? Well, yeah. Oh, I mean, if you count uh, Burgess Meredith as yeah. uh, Jack Lemmon's father. Yeah. He was in Charade, Charlie Varick, uh, Dennis the Menace. <laughs> um, he's also in Failsafe. I'm a big fan of uh, Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a classic. And don't forget Earthquake. His one scene where he's just <laughs> guy at bar drinking. Yeah, does, doesn't he get in the credits? He has like some fake name. Oh, I think it's his full name, which is like Walter Mathakow. And, 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 and yeah, whatever it like, is. Yeah, It's a hugely long name. Uh, Julie Andrews was Amanda Worthington. She was obviously Mary Poppins was what she got her Oscar for. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in Sound of Music, the Princess Diaries movies, Shrek, Despicable Me. We mentioned Victor Victoria. Victor Victoria. Where she's a woman playing a man playing a woman. Right. <laughs> um, a lot of Blake Edwards movies, a couple of Pink Panthers and Victor Victoria. Uh, the, you, you really like the Americanization of Emily if you ever get a chance to see that. Oh, okay. That, that's her, uh, James Garner, and uh, James Coburn. The Americanization of Emily. Yeah, it's a good one. I'll have to look that one up. Um, she has five Golden Globes for acting. She's also a dame, but I feel like people don't call her Dame Julie Andrews. That's true, yeah. Um, but she is one. She's just not in your face like Judy Dench. <laughs> doesn't rub oh. it in everybody's faces. Whoa. That's right. I'm calling Some you stuff out. stuff is coming out here, man. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not the one with the hardcore grudge against Judy Dench. That's all Matt. <laughs> um, Tony Curtis as Blackie, obviously... Some like it hot with Jack Lemon, so these are both Jack Lemon partners. Um, Spartacus, uh, he was in the earlier remake of Little Miss Marker called uh, 40 Pounds of Trouble, mm-hmm. which is a reference to one of the very first scenes after Sorrowful takes care of her. He brings her into a club, and all these guys are like, What do you have this kid for? He's like, Oh, she was a mark for somebody who tried to place a bet. And they're like, Ah, oh, she looks like she she couldn't weigh more than 50 pounds. And someone's like, 50 pounds? What are you talking about? She looks like she weighs 48 pounds. And they're immediately like placing bets on how much she weighs. And each mm-hmm. of them takes turns like picking her up and throwing her in the air to decide how much she weighs. And Amanda walks in and she's like, 
what do you you can't just toss this child around like she's a prop for you to weigh and she's like i'm liking this like, <laughs> she's like aren't you gonna pick me up sorrowful he's like no nah, i could tell by looking at you you're 40 and a half pounds and then they weigh her and she's like exactly 40 and a half pounds like he's the only person who knew but he's like yeah 40 pounds of trouble and so then they use that title for the the second remake of the movie bob newhart as regret obviously best known for the bob newhart show um and then a show called newhart and then a show called bob and then he was out of show names um, he also played bernard in the rescuers films and uh he was the head elf i think in elf you, was he well, was he like in charge he was like santa's second in command yeah I, I, yeah i guess he he was certainly one of the el- the older elves yeah he was he was a senior and, elf and, and buddy's adopted father right yes uh, Lee Grant was the judge. She plays Anne Thorne, the stepmother of Damien in The Omen 2. Um, she's also Miss Colbert in In the Heat of the Night. And uh, I read Ebert's review of this film, and she was his only complaint because he said, in 1934, I, I don't buy a female judge. That, huh. was, that was his only complaint about the whole movie, which never even occurred to me watching. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, Brian Dennehy is Herbie. Um, he was... Uh, uh teasel in first blood mm-hmm. um he's Cobb and silverado i always go to farley's dad and tommy boy yeah i mean, i would i would say first blood is probably like the most famous dennehy role yeah um but i all, all through watching this uh i always remember pat oswald's famous like bit about when he met him and they were at the like the buffet table, and he said right then he was like stuffing his face oh, yeah. like character actors who cares if we're fat <laughs> <laughs> that's an awesome my dad has a Dennehy story too I, I tried to ask him about it today and, and he seemed to not remember the story that I thought he had told me in the past but I'm pretty sure that my dad uh, was working near his home and that Dennehy saw my dad and, and said you could be a stand-in for me but my dad was working uh, like clearing brush or something to prevent mm. uh, brush fires and stuff because he worked with the fire department he was also uh, Dennehy was Mickey J, the head of the Teamsters on 30 Rock in the Sandwich Day episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, gotta, like, he's perfect casting Dennehy as the head of the Teamsters. It's like, you gotta beat them in drinking contests. It's a standard. <laughs> <laughs> Which character was Brannigan? I, I I'm think having trouble Br- remembering I think Brannigan was their accountant. Okay. Well, he plays... Oh, no, uh, wait, no, he's the cop. He's the, he's the cop. He, he's okay. The, cop. Uh, the cop uh, in this film went on to play Baron Vladimir Harkonnen in Lynch's Dune. Yeah. And he'll also be back this year in Carney and Borderline. Um, Sarah Stimson, like we said before, was uh, one of over 90 children who auditioned for this role didn't do anything else after this. She had an appearance as a, a guest on a talk show around the time the movie came out. That was, that was it from her. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's everything for the cast. Jess, what do you think, up or down? You know, I enjoyed it, but I don't. I don't think there's anything that spectacular about this movie that makes it a must-watch. So, I'd I'd, I'd say down, just because I don't think I don't think it's super necessary. Sure, uh, I agree. Um, I like watched it twice, just like you know, as I often do with these movies. Yeah. Uh, but, and I I laugh. I was more listening to it the second time, and I was laughing more at the jokes. Yeah. Because I wasn't paying attention to the performances of how they were being delivered. Yeah. And and I was like, wow, these are, jokes are really funny, but they're not funny when you're watching it. Yeah. Um, so just for that, I'm kind of like, yeah, no, this movie's not not up there for me, so it's a no. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think um, 
if if you want if the the must watch version of this is just uh, paper moon i think this this one doesn't really um doesn't really need to be seen i would say it's it's not a required viewing um letterboxed jess or we'll start with richard <laughs> um so, i think so that jess can copy him <laughs> so she knows what she thinks <laughs> i think that i would put this um uh just above midnight madness but below married couple oh, all right interesting uh i would put it just above last married couple uh which is right below the fog for me okay I am also putting it right above Midnight Madness, which is below Foxes for me. But I think that's about it for this one. Um, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas we've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Little Darlings, which IMDb calls two 15-year-old girls from different sides of the tracks compete to see who will be the first to lose their virginity while at camp. We leave you now with the trailer for Little Darlings. Tatum O'Neill, the kid from Paper Moon and Bad News Bears, is now more adorable than ever. I don't like sharing this space with you either. You keep out of my way, and I'll keep out of yours. Deal? Isn't she a little darling? And Christy McNichol, everybody's favorite daughter from TV's family. She's sweeter than ever. Slide me something nice. Oh! Isn't she a little darling? Tatum and Christy, together for the first time in the true spirit of hot-blooded American competition. Nobody can stop these girls. So if you can't beat them, join them. Little darlings. You're entering a new era. This summer, do something special. Something you've never done before. Angel versus Ferris. Whoever catches a guy first, wins. You just lost a hundred bucks, sucker. Now the game is on. And every male is up for grabs. What's your name, anyway? It's Randy. Don't let the name fool you. Wow! He is great! Great! You'll have to do! picture that suddenly grows up.
into something very special. Little Darlings.